Rejoice. That's what Jesus says. Rejoice. He is risen. Okay, kids. He is risen. risen There you go. Oh, it is good to be with you this morning. It is great to be with you this morning. Um, We just, Bonnie and I, just, the longer we're here, the more we grow in love with the church and uh, with your love for the word and the way you uh, reach out to each other. And this morning I thought, this is probably the modern equivalent to what happened Easter morning. I sent out rejoice to everybody to my D group, to my, the preaching team, to uh, you know, my brother and sister and son, and all of a sudden, everybody starts dinging back, right? Rejoice, rejoice, right? he is risen, he is risen indeed. And I thought, yeah, if they had cell phones in Jesus' day, that's what would have happened. Those cell phones would have gone, been going crazy. So I'm going to begin this morning, not with Matthew 28, that's a little hot, um, but but with Acts. I'm going to preach on Matthew 28, but we have to begin, I have to begin, in Acts 2.24, which is Peter's Pentecost sermon, right? And he says this, it's it's really a remarkable thing. And, And the reason for this verse is because it's so remarkable, what happens in the tomb. It says this, God raised him, Jesus, up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And what's so interesting there is the word pangs. Women, you should know this word. You know what it means? I'm going to read you from the Greek dictionary. This is what it says. Experience of pains associated with childbirth. Birth pains. And imagery, great pain in giving birth. That's how the dictionary defines it. God raised him up, loosening the birth pains of death. So something's happening here. Pain is a pain that brings forth life. I had kidney stones. And I said, you know, these kidney stones really are bad. It's probably a lot like childbirth. You know, Bonnie looked at me and said, have you ever had a child? I said, no. (laughs) Enough of that conversation. Let's move on. <laughs> so, so something's happening in the tomb. There's death and there's life. Mm, but there's a lot of life. And then Peter, uh, in 1 Peter, he, he says this. He said, Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great smir- mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. We sang that song, Wonderful Theology, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, born again. So, this is not just about the resurrection of Jesus, absolutely the resurrection of Jesus. And the center point of that but because of his resurrection, something's happening for us. It's amazing. And we are raised to an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Matthew 28 tells us how it happened. And now we're going to turn to Matthew 28. And as you know, in Matthew 28, the women are up very early. 
and they're walking to the tomb. So I want you to get that picture in your mind. And this is kind of a brutal way to start a resurrection sermon by looking at the grave, at graves. But I want you to get the mindset of the women. I want you to look at the picture behind me, and I want you to find yourself. Because we've all been there. It's the death of a, of a husband after 50 years of marriage. It's a little boy who lost his father. It's a man with his hands on the tombstone. It's a man who's lost his wife. It's a mother who's lost a child. Is a husband with his hands upon the tombstone wondering how he's going to make it. What, where, why do you go to the, to the graveyard? Why do you go to that grave? What do you expect? You might go to remember. You might go to pray might go to weep. Graves are sad places. Are they not? The most significant person in my life at the time of death was my father. Died at age 56. I had not yet turned 30. He died at age 50. Uh, he, he, he died at age 56, but he became like dead at age 54 because he was in a car accident and was put into a coma for two years. A deep coma. A death-like coma. And it was as if he died at age 54. But he didn't die until age 56. I've been to his grave many times, although he's buried in Portland, Oregon. So now we're ready to hear this story about the women because we've all find ourselves going to a grave. And here's how our text begins. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, there's something remarkable about these three women. In Matthew 27, verse 56, they are at the death of Jesus. In Matthew 27, verse 61, they're at the burial of Jesus. Not the rest of the disciples. They're not there. They all flee. The shepherd was struck and the sheep scattered. But not these women in Matthew 28, they're at the grave. So the women are at the death, the burial, and the grave. What words would you use to describe these women? This kind of commitment when the men run away. What are they expecting 
they're expecting to see the dead body of Jesus. They're hoping that somebody will roll away the stone so they can go in and see the dead body of Jesus. They're expecting to care for the dead body of Jesus. In Mark 16, we learn that they came carrying spices. So they just sort of want to finish the job in case it wasn't finished. So they're expecting to see the dead body. They're expecting to care for the dead body. They're going to remember. They're going to weep. Some can hardly stand the sight of the burial. I've done many funerals in my life. And some people just can hardly stand it. And as soon as the, it's, we're finished at the graveside, they just need to leave. Some people need to stay. When my dad was buried on that hillside in Portland, Oregon, my brother and I had to wait and see for the casket to go down into the ground. Most people do not stay that long. Very rare in my experience. And then we, had, we asked the guy to bring the truck over and we wanted to watch the dirt put on top of the casket. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. There was something about the finality of it that we had to see with our own eyes. So we stayed there and waited for them to pour the dirt on top of the casket. It was final. The women are going to finalize it all, to say goodbye, to weep, to care for the body. When you go to the gravesite of someone you love, what do you expect to see? You expect to see a tombstone. And that's what the women experienced did. They expected to see a round tombstone blocking the grave. In World War II, during the most hor- he is alive, that's what they're saying, he is alive. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> He's alive indeed, it's amazing. Amen. In World War II, during the most horrible part of the persecution of the Jews uh, by the Nazis in Poland, an old Jewish cemetery keeper came into the cemetery one morning. And he found that during the night, a woman had crept in to an open grave. She went there for safety. She went there to give birth to a son. Though she probably found the place safe, unfortunately, she had died. But the child lived. The Jewish cemetery keeper said to himself and to others close by, this must be the Messiah, for only the Messiah could choose to be born in a grave. The child wasn't the Messiah, you know that. And the child died before noon that day. But the truth of which the cemetery keeper spoke is accurate. Only Jesus, the Messiah, could choose to bring new life out of a grave. Only Jesus comes into this world amidst all the sin and the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of this world and can bring 
life from his grave. The women have no idea what they're about to see. And behold, there are four beholds in this passage. And you know what I say about the word behold. It means pay attention. So this is really super important. Four times. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. When you say it that many times, you're saying, pay attention, really loud. <clears throat> so, and behold, there was a great earthquake for, and read that word for as because, okay? That's what it means, because. There was a great earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. So the angel comes down as the angel is coming down, oh, a big earthquake, now remember, at the crucifixion of Jesus, there was an earthquake. And now in his death and resurrection, there's an earthquake. Heaven and earth are really in touch to what's happening. And heaven and earth are responding to what's happening. It's amazing. Psalm 19, read it sometime, I'll explain it. For an angel, because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. How do you think the angel rolled back that stone? Do you think he just, he just put out his hand and it rolled? Do you think he touched it? Do you think he just, I, I don't know, it doesn't say, but it's a remarkable thing. And the angel descended, rolled back the stone and sat on it, sat on a round stone. That probably was no easy job. But he's an angel. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. There was a great earthquake because an angel came down. The angel sat on the stone, a round stone. And the angel was there for one purpose. What was it? To, to give the women a message. He's just waiting for the women. You know, you, what, what's he, he's waiting for the women. So when the angel sees the women coming, he's probably like, good, you're here. Awesome, I've been waiting for you. And the angel's appearance was like lightning. How many of you, when you were kids, were scared of lightning? Raise your hand. Now imagine a person who looks like lightning. The best way you could describe them is lightning. You know why you always see angels glowing? is because they look like lightning. And you know how lightning lights up a room, a dark space? That lightning bolt comes and is bright for a moment. And this angel sitting there is glowing all around him. And his clothes were white as snow, which is a sign of purity and holiness. This is amazing. So let's just get some of the details straight here. The angel comes after Jesus has risen from the dead. The angel rolls away the stone to let the women in, not to let Jesus out. Which says something remarkable about the resurrection, does it not? And three, the angel is there to deliver a message to the women.
for fear of him, of, of, of the angels, for fear of the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now that word tremble is really interesting. Okay? So I, we just have to go through the time. Matthew uses the word tremble three different times. Only is only translated trembled here, and I don't know why exactly. Um, tremble means, uh, for fear, means in, to be in severe distress, aroused by intense concern from pending pain. So, so they're in fear of, of, the, of the angel, and they're trembling because of the angel, and this is what the word tremble means. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? So that's Palm Sunday. The whole city was trembling, okay, on Palm Sunday. Because Jesus comes in on a donkey, and they're thinking, that's great. He's going to deliver us. But Rome's going to come in on horses. How many of you have ever seen a movie where the invading army comes in on donkeys? Would you be worried? Right? You can understand why they are trembling. But here's another place where it's used. There we go. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook. It's the same word. Trembled, stirred, shook. The whole earth shook, and the rocks were split. Do you understand what the guards are experiencing? They are breaking apart. They're seeing an angel that looks like lightning, and they're not just stirred up. They're not just trembling. They are shaking like the earthquake shakes. Here's another use of the term. Matthew 28, that's our use. I would translate that work, and the, and the guards were, were shaking like the earthquake. I mean, they are moving, all right? And here's two uses outside of Matthew. Said at that time, his voice, God's voice, shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And then, and then in Revelation, it says this. And the sky, and stars of the sky, fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its, leader, uh, sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. So you can imagine somebody shaking a tree so hard that the fruit falls off of it. I mean, you are really shaking it. That is the guards. We have to understand that. Life has not prepared them for anything like this. And their lives are rocked. They are shaken. Nothing has prepared them for this. In a blog, Roberta Mesner says this. She said, I met a new cashier in the hospital cafeteria named Sally. When I asked Sally if Easter was a special holiday for her, she looked at me, perplexed, and told me, no, honey, my children are all grown. The reason that statement is so sad it becomes, is because something is going to shake Sally's world. Something is going to shake her world, and she's not going to be ready for it. She's going to have the death of a child, and it's going to shake her. 
her husband's going to say, going to leave her, and she's going to be shaken. She's going to find out she has cancer, and she's going to be shaken. I don't know what it's going to be, but something's going to happen, and her world is going to be rocked. And then where is she going to turn? What's going to happen to her? She's going to fall down dead in the face of it like the guards because her world was shaken and she was dead to life. So let's go back to that slide one more time. For fear of the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now in the Greek, there's three, but one doesn't really apply. There's two main words. There's dead... Which means, guess what? Dead. <laughs> Cemetery dead. You're dead. Then there's a word. It's one word. Just one. In English, we have to make it two. But in the Greek, it's one word. And it's half dead. And half dead is what happens to the man going on the road, going down to Jericho, the Good Samaritan. And he gets beat up by the robbers. And he was left half dead. Meaning... He was beat up. He was alive, but he was pretty well beat up. And then there's a third word, which means um, like dead, meaning they fainted. That's the guards. They weren't beat up and they weren't dead, but they were like dead. So they're just laying as if they were in a coma. But here's the really interesting thing. The guards are a picture of where most people in our world are. People are dead to the resurrection. They're just dead to it. That's where this woman who said, my kids are grown up, forget Easter. She's dead to the resurrection. Here's a quote that I love. This quote makes my uh, favorite quote file because I love it. The whole Christian faith is based on the idea that God takes people who are spiritually dead, that'd be the guards, that'd be this woman in the cafeteria, that God takes people who are spiritually dead and gives them new life. Whenever we evangelize, we are evangelizing the cemetery. There's never been a time or a culture when it was natural to repent of your sins. That culture doesn't exist. It hasn't existed. It never will exist. Christians must know deep in their bones that they've always that we've always been about a work that's supernatural. From that standpoint, recent cultural changes have made our job zero percent harder. Because we've always been about evangelizing the cemetery. Pretty incredible, isn't it? If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, the guards are your picture. Something amazing is happening and you're dead to it. You don't see it. Jesus is risen. That's remarkable. You're alive, you're sitting here, but you're dead to the resurrection and the life he gives, born in the cemetery, to you. And you're missing it. You're missing it.
But please know this. Let you think, oh, you're judging, preacher. I'm used to preacher judging. I want to tell you this. I was dead to the resurrection. In fact, everybody sitting here was dead to the resurrection until I met Jesus, until we met Jesus. Were we not? We were dead until we met Jesus. In fact, this is what Ephesians says, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I like this translation a little bit better. And you existed dead. How do you exist as dead? But that's how I existed until I knew Christ. I existed dead. Dead to Christ. Dead to resurrection. Dead to life. Dead. I walked. I talked. I ate. But I was dead. Let's continue on with the story. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here because he is risen. That's why he's not there. Because he is risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he lay. So it begins with the word but. That word is, is in Greek, it's a word of contrast. The, the guards had one response to the angel. The women had a different response to the angel. Same angel, same lightning appearance. Different response. Big contrast between the guards who are like dead and the women who are quite alive because they love Jesus. They know Jesus. They haven't experienced the power of his resurrection yet, but they know Jesus. They love Jesus. They were there at his death. They were there at his burial, and they're the only one there now at his grave. When your life is built on Christ, the things that rock everyone else will not rock you. The things that are like an earthquake to other people will not be so for you. The women teach us that. And then they say, fear not. The word fear here means to be apprehensive. It's okay, you don't have to be apprehensive, the angel's saying. And it's a command. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's the first command given. And there's several commands given in this Easter passage. And the angel says, come now. Come now. You're going to want to see this. Stone real back. Come. come. You're definitely going to want to see this. So the women come in the tomb because something remarkable has happened. The stone, the stone physically separated the women from the body of Jesus, right? Can't get in. Stone there. Somebody's got to move it. And now they see that it's removed. Now, the second part, I don't know if they understand, but they will come to understand it. Like a stone, sin is something that separates us from Jesus. But now because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that barrier which separates us from God has been removed. So it's not just the physical stone that's been removed. They'll come to realize 
it's the stone of sin which separates us from God. Sin has been dealt with. Interesting study. A recent study has found a recent study has found that the average person is holding on to three secrets, 13 secrets, five of which they've never told anybody. Now, what's really interesting about this study, it's a secular study, and they're going to call them secrets. But when you find out what the secrets are, they're sins, okay? So when you hear me say the word secret, you read sin, okay? Because the same thing, okay? Recent studies found the average person is holding on to 13 secrets, five of which they've never told a living soul. And it's not the secret itself, the sin itself that will haunt you. It's all the mental energy that you spend thinking about it. New research shows that some people actually feel physically heavier when they're burdened with a secret sin, when they're burdened with sin. And the extra weight can skew how you navigate your surroundings. When participants were asked to judge the slope of a hill or the length of a distance, those who were preoccupied with keeping secret sins judged the hills steeper and the distances longer than they really were. Isn't that interesting? They're not telling anybody their secret, which is sin, and stuff just looks heavier, bigger, longer, harder, Michael Selpan, a professor at the Columbia Business School, said, quote, We have found that when people were thinking about their, secret, their secrets, read that sins, when they were thinking about their sins, they actually acted as if they were burdened by a physical weight. The bur- You've heard about the burden of the burden of sin. It's true. Scientists have said that they've looked at this They're just saying what Scripture said for over 2,000 years. A lot longer than that, because Old Testament says that too. Settlepan and his team examined 13,000 real-life secrets to figure out what people are keeping secret about and uh, what it's like to have a secret and why secret-keeping has overwhelmingly been viewed as a negative human experience. These secrets involve things like... This is where it's not a secret... These are 13,000 people. These are what they found were the most common. Things like telling a lie, harming someone, drug use, theft, violating somebody's trust, sexual infidelity, or a secret hobby like pornography. All sins. And it's not just the weight of sin, but it's the pollution of sin that makes us unacceptable and separates us from God. It's the power of sin that puts us in the grave every single time. If you're here this morning, and hear this very clearly, if you're here this morning, and the hill looks steeper, and the road looks longer, and you feel like you're carrying a burden that you cannot bear, and if you feel like there's a stone in your life that cannot move, then you need to examine the secret sin that you've told no one about. And you need to confess it. And you need to repent of it. If you don't, you'll be left in your own grave. And you'll be dead to that resurrection like those guards. 
But the angel has come to speak to the women. So the angel told the women to come, come in and see Jesus who is crucified. That's what he said. Come in. Again, Jesus was crucified. And this is what they, we, they find out. They see the place where Jesus uh, lay. What they're seeing is a place where their sins were crucified in the body of Christ. As First Peter says, and he himself bore our sin in his body on the cross. So they're not just seeing where Jesus lay. They're seeing where their sins in the body of Christ lay, crucified, dead. Jesus is taking care of it, which is amazing. So our sins in his body, on the cross, crucified. Jesus is alive and death defeated. The women need to see this for themselves because it's remarkable. If you know that your sin has been crucified with Christ and that Christ has risen from the dead, then all of a sudden the hill is not steep and the road is not long and the cross is not hairy, heavy and the stone is removed. There's life. So the angel continues. Then go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold... Is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, that word see actually is the exact same word as behold. So that's the, the, the fourth behold. Behold, I have told you. Quickly, that's the first thing the angel says. It's not an imperative. It's kind of like the angel saying, okay, go, go on, go on. But he says quickly and tell. Tell is the imperative. The crucial thing for the angel is, you must tell. It'd be nice if you'd go quickly. Okay? It'd be nice if you ran and did it. But what you have to do is you have to tell. This is the center of the Christian faith. And the angel has told the women to tell the disciples all about it. And the reason this is remarkable is because a woman's testimony was not allowed in court as a valid testimony not allowed so why wouldn't the disciples believe do you think the disciples would believe the women the answer is no they're not in Luke 24 it says this but these words the women tell them about the resurrection but these words seemed to them an idle tale and did not believe them why it's the women saying it who believes a woman husbands Mark 16 but when they heard that he was alive and be seen by her, they would not believe it. Wow. Wow. You wonder why the women were at the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus. The angel has those two beholds. He's going before you to Galilee. There we will see him. Pay attention to that. You need to know where he's going because that's an important part of the message. Second, behold, I have told you. It's always, life always comes with urgency, doesn't it? If my father, after two years in a coma, rose up and began speaking with absolute clarity, you know how fast I would have told people? 
know how excited I would have been? know how many phone calls I would have made within 30 seconds? It would have been remarkable. Jesus did not wake up from a coma. He woke up from the dead. He was raised from the dead. The question is, who am I going to run to with the gospel message? Who am I going to run to with the gospel message? Who are you going to run to with the gospel message? Oh, almost done. I can get the slide to change. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Interesting word. We'll come back to it. And they came to call his feet and worshipped him. They ran quickly to tell. And then there's behold. Again, pay attention. Greetings. Jesus says greetings. He doesn't really say greetings. It's interesting. The word should be translated rejoice, and it's in the second person, which means he's not saying hi. He's saying you rejoice. He sees the two women, says you rejoice. Rejoice. That's what you need to do. And then they grab his feet, and this is so important because it tells us that Jesus' body has been resurrected. The resurrection is a doctrine about the body, not the spirit, the body. They're able to take hold of his feet and they worship him. That means he is fully human, he has a body, and he's fully God because he is worshipped. And so this becomes very important. And that's understanding that Jesus is fully human and fully God. And then finally, then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. It's the same afraid that the guards have. But he says, don't be that way. And they don't fall down flat because they have a relationship with Jesus. And it's about joy. He said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Go and tell, again, in the imperative. And it's not just tell. The word is proclaim. The women are to go and proclaim. And it's what all of us are called to do. He says, go tell my brothers. Go tell the men. Proclaim it to them. They're my brothers. And isn't it good to know that the Lord and King, the one risen from the dead, is my brother? How awesome is that? The women, they already know this. And what they have to go and is do and is find the disciples and tell them that Jesus is alive. Remarkable. So here are my takeaways from this resurrection narrative. Real. Yet people will be dead to it. You will be have to be the... Okay, there we go. Takeaways. Thank you, uh, desk. The resurrection is real. Yet people will be dead to it. You have to be the one to tell them. I have a lot to say about seeker-sensitive churches because the dead don't really seek. And if the dead don't really seek, that means you have to be the one to tell. And if you aren't the one to tell, nobody's going to know. We learn that from this story. Two. 
when your world is shaken, when you are hit by an earthquake, don't be afraid. Christ is alive and he has overcome death. If Jesus can overcome death, he can certainly keep you steady and standing when your world is shaken. Such an important lesson for me. Our worlds will be shaken. There is no question. But because of Christ and because he's alive today, now, and in our lives, we won't fall down like dead men. We will stand, and we will stand firm. And then my final takeaway. Who are you going to run to this week to tell the good news of the gospel? Who are you going to run to? Remember, the emphasis is not in run. Walk. But the emphasis is tell. The imperative is tell. We have to do this. It's up to you. It's up to me. You need to know. The Lord is risen. Let's pray. God, Lord God, teach us the lessons of the resurrection. Help us always to remember that Jesus is alive and standing. And we can grab a hold of his feet. And we can worship. And he calls us brethren and sister. Help us to share this wonderful message. Help us to put it on our minds this week, today, when we walk out the doors. Who is it that we're going to tell? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and respond to this message as we sing together. Christ is our hope in life and death.